Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's a cat over here. There's a cat, There's a cat over there. Cat. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cat's catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today I have a very special bonus episode. I had the privilege of seeing Cats the movie a few days before it actually was released for a special press screening. And because, as you know, this podcast is incredibly important to the success of the movie, I wanted to make sure I reviewed it for you. And speaking of the success of this movie, I want to ask who at Universal decided it would be a good idea to have opening weekend the same weekend as Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. I'm guessing whoever made that decision is likely the same person who decided Grizabella was the right choice to die. Either way, I want to talk about the movie, and I want to do it without any spoilers. And to do that, I want to bring in a special guest. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing this movie with podcast extraordinaire and the host of the theater podcast, Alan Seals. So welcome, Alan. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that you were able to come experience this this movie with me. And an experience it experience was. Experience it was. Um, I highly recommend checking out Alan's podcast, also part of the Broadway Podcast Network, and we want to get into the movie. So, Alan, I want to tell you a quick story going in before I review this movie, because I have a little bit of history reviewing movies. Back in college, I actually wrote a few movie reviews for the college paper, and the reason I did this is because freshman year, someone told me, hey, you can get free movie tickets, and then $10 if you write a few hundred words. And that was a lot. It was a lot. It was exactly. It was great. And so I said, that sounds amazing. Let me do that. So you have to go write some fake movie reviews for movies that have been out for a long time. And so I, I did those and kind of made it up and had a good time. And then I got asked to tackle my first real movie in theaters. And do you have a guess of what that movie was? Ghostbusters. I wish. No, I'm not that old. <laughs> Instead, it was the cinematic masterpiece, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, with oh. Adam Sandler and Kevin James. Which I have to admit, I never saw because never saw. I could tell from the preview it was not something for me. Well, I'm glad you said that. So I went to the theater, I watched this movie, and then I gave it a grade. And what do you think I graded it on a school grading scale? So Judging A through F. 
Okay, A through F. Judging by uh, <laughs> the fact of that it wasn't very good, I would say probably a C minus. C minus. That was probably what most people would have. It has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And I gave it an A minus. I think your scale is off, man. So the reason I'm telling you this is because I want to emphasize that when I go see movies, I'm a pretty easy grader. I don't go in with a lot of expectations. I just want to be amused, and I feel like I'm a fairly easily amused person. And so I feel like that's important for this context because the Cats movie was a cinematic experience. And I'm not sure if I would call it a good cinematic experience, but it was an experience. So we're going to get to grades <laughs> at, at the end. We're not going to do A through F. We're going to do one through nine cat lives because this is the wrong cat died. But there are going to be plenty of actual reviews. So instead of doing a typical review, um, and I don't want to do spoilers, even though there's no spoilers. This movie's, you know, the musical's been out for 40 years. But you know, Grizabella dies. At yeah, the she end. dies at the end. Um, although we'll get to the ending. Interesting choice <laughs> of the ending. But instead, what I want to do is I want to go through things you liked and you disliked about the movie. And so I know there's probably more dislikes than likes, but I feel like we can scratch through this and go back and forth with a few things to give the viewers a little bit of an idea of what they're going to see, what they can expect, and and not necessarily go in and change their mind going in. Because I want people to still go see this movie. I think. It is a it is worth seeing in a in a weird way. Everyone is going to pull something different out of it. Whether it, they go see it for the nostalgia or they go see it because it's like Paul McCartney, they've never heard of this person before. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they're like, oh, a, a new movie musical. I like those. So I think yes, I agree with you, Mike. Everybody needs to go see this. I'm gonna kick off with a dislike just because there's gonna be more than the likes. So I'm going to kick off with a dislike, and I'm going to give credit to Christopher Gurr, who said this in the bonus episode, but I did not like the dialogue. I agree. I agree that it it took me out of the flow of the musical. It really was clearly centered around explaining the plot to someone who hadn't seen the movie before. Because they talk about it being a competition, and everyone's telling their stories, and these are all things that I had to surmise the first time I saw it. And now they're given this free reign of, hey, this is the the public's too dumb to figure this out, so we're going to tell them exactly what they're watching. And I thought it was unnecessary. I thought, yeah, I agree. Be, uh, Tom Hooper has experience. I mean, he, he did the Les Mis uh, movie a couple of years, but back. they didn't have dialogue. In right. That. Well, Les Mis itself is a, is an opera, right? There's mm-hmm. no dialogue in the whole thing. And it works, and they didn't add dialogue. And but the opera itself, the music itself, tells the full story. Whereas here, that obvious plot—I guess—hitting you over the head with what the plot is was missing. So they decided to add it in, which is fair. And that kind of gets me to the part uh, my first like, which is I liked Victoria as a narrator. Me too. I enjoyed seeing it. It was I thought it was a very clever and smart way to allow the audience to kind of understand what's going on and view this this chaos the same way she was at the same time. So a lot of the reactions that, especially if you haven't seen the musical, a lot of the reactions she was having are things that I had the first time I saw it in the theater. And Francesca Hayward, uh, this is her big introduction into film. Uh, she's a ballet dancer in the in English ballerina uh, in the Royal Ballet in London. And obviously the right choice for a perfect dancer, uh, which 
takes me to my first like is that she was not the best singer, which I liked. And I say that I like that because I, I, it was obviously a stylistic choice. Um, Tom Hooper, if for Les Mis as well, he he had everyone singing live. They weren't singing, they weren't mouthing to tracks, right? Interesting. And okay. so I didn't research this yet. So I believe he probably did the same thing here with cats because you hear the <sighs> you hear the breathing yeah. and you hear you hear the foot stomps on the wood in the in like when they're outside or when they're inside in the rooms, you yeah. hear their feet, their feet hitting the ground, you hear them breathing, you hear them jumping when they're singing, like you go to Broadway shows and you hear them like, uh, uh, like they're grunting around while they're moving, while they're singing, because that's real and that's live. And he brought that into this movie, which I really, really liked. Which, so that was something I, I agree with. I loved, um, I loved the the dancing, like just the fact that they integrated this. I mean, a, a big part of seeing Cats and Musical is the dance numbers and they integrated, but it also led to one of my biggest dislikes, which was the cutting of the movie the jump cuts the jump cuts were out of control every other few seconds i was cut out from watching someone do this incredible dance to a different version or a different angle of it and it was a little nauseating that's something that i i got annoyed with i think glee did a lot of that um in these big dance choral numbers i'm like just give me the wide shot i just want to watch the wide shot yeah. that, that's me coming from a theater background where i want to look at everybody on stage um, but I totally agree with you that, that I was like, oh, yeah, dancing, dancing, good. Oh, crap, they jump cut. Although now they're in a completely different location singing two seconds after where they just were. Yeah. So obviously reality isn't, <laughs> isn't real here. Yeah, it was, you know, it really didn't. It just made it hard to watch. And when you had the talent, the level of talent they had with dancers. Oh, my gosh. It underutilized them. They had the, the, the late, late twins. The, the late the, twins. The, yeah. Which I, I saw one, like, really good time when they were utilized, and mm-hmm. the rest they were kind of in the background. Yeah. Oh, that was that was kind of one of my dislikes a little bit is the underutilization, speaking of which, of the principles. Like, you've got James mm-hmm. Corden and Taylor Swift and, and these other major, major, probably very expensive to have in the movie people. Yes. And – we saw more of everybody else. I mean, I guess the, when when OD came in, you know, own Dame Judy Dench came in, and we saw probably the most of her out of all the principals. But um, well, Idris Alba is he was in it a lot more than I was expecting because in the in the musical McCavity's, you know, he's not there, and he was everywhere in this movie. He was he was a very center point. I mean, they made him the antagonist and really hammered that home. I was a fan of his – I'm trying not to give away a spoiler. I was a fan of how he entered and exited until it was overused. It, so I, I had that as a dislike. But it also led me to one of my favorite likes, which was the crowd. Because I'm assuming most everyone who's going to be in this theater is not all going for the same reasons. And our crowd definitely had some people that either were in an altered state of mind <laughs> or were there for the comedic value of it when there's not – like the unintentional comedic value of it. Mm-hmm. And so at that particular time, every time he entered and exited, some guy about two rows behind us just started cackling. And that to me made this experience ten times better because the guy behind us and there's a guy right in front of us – that were laughing at the most serious moments, I loved. I absolutely loved. I think it made the experience so much better because it did take a little bit of this like 
this is weird and it's and it's 2019 weird you know it's like not the 70s when it came out where it was thought provoking and and new and different it was now it's just it's just kind of weird you know what speaking of weird did you ever see team america from south park um, one of my favorite movies right so when they were creating the puppet the marionettes for south park they actually had the face look too realistic at first. They had too many servos in the face. And so they took some out so it would look more, I guess, less like a real person, less like a real talking, because it was more believable by the audience to see a marionette talking than a marionette that looks like a real person talking, Mm -hmm. right? And so that gets me here again to one of my one of my likes that then turned into a dislike was I love the technology that goes into this because I, I don't know how they did – I mean, I assume it's some sort of like facial motion capture, obviously whole body motion capture, but like Avatar James Cameron, they totally – he pushed the envelope and and, and had the avatars uh, – developed the new facial to animation technology for Avatar. So I feel like something like this – like that went into this with the whole body capture, which I was like, oh, this is really cool how they're making these real people into cats. But then I was like, whoa, they are too sexy for me. Like, I was seriously attracted to White Cat, and I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) It was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortably weird, and I don't know if it was just unfinished because, you know, you read the article, uh, Tom Hooper said that they finished the final cut of the movie, like, what, three, a couple hours hours before the the first premiere, yeah. Like, you could see they had full-on human feet, full-on human hands. Full-on human noses. Full-on human noses. And mouths and eyes, I guess, for that matter, too. I guess, yeah, uh, McCavity's had, like, contacts in. But still, it was, like, it was too much human for me to to believe that they were cats. And it, w- it was a little bit strange. It got a lot of press leading up to the movie because of it reminded everyone of Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm. About how the whole crowd had an uproar. And that's what happened during the trailers. The crowd got in an uproar about the CGI and just the fake fur and what was happening. And it was a little distracting in the movie. Well, they they had probably somebody, I want to watch the credits. They probably had somebody or a whole team of people that were just looking at or responsible for the tales. You know, the tailography. Yeah, it's like the uh, the dinosaur supervisor in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, the, the tailography. Because the tails had, and the ears too, ears had to correspond and the tails had to correspond to choreography, to singing, to emotions. And obviously, obviously they're not going to have that in real life while they're going around dancing and singing. So that's got to be added in in post. Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a lot. Let me, let me go to a couple other, I want to do a couple other really quick ones before we, we cut to um, some awards we have at the end. The ones I want to talk about is a couple of the characters that they made some changes to, or they just adjusted more than I was expecting. So I thought some were really well done and some were a disaster. The one that I thought was really well done was Taylor Swift. She sings the entire McCavity song by herself. Um, the whole catnip being in there. I just thought that whole scene was really clever. And it's a great song. It's a fun song. And I thought they did a really good job with it. But to your point, I think they paid a lot of money for her to be on screen for about seven minutes. Yeah, I totally agree. Somebody like Jennifer Hudson, who keeps recurring, she keeps coming back. You know, Grizabella keeps coming in and out of the scenes. Like, okay, cool. Pay some money for that. For her, she's worth it. She sings the crap out of that song at the yeah, end. very much. And, yeah, Tay-Tay, 
I mean, she brought it. She wrote the end credit song, which was cool. Um, which she didn't sing. Which she didn't sing, but she yeah, she wrote it. Um, and so it's an original song for the for the movie that didn't actually go in the movie. It's a credit song, but yeah, could have cut that. Like, I think Ian McKellen too, as as Gus. I think that was probably not needed. He did a, a great I think job. A lot of them were not needed. He he did a great job. But are you seeing this movie if they don't have all the stars? Oh yeah, had? absolutely. Okay. Because me personally, I want to go see this. I don't think I think this music. You have a podcast called the Theater Podcast, <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me. But I think the majority of people are choosing between this the the opening weekend between Star Wars, Little Woman with Emma Watson, and this. They had to have some names. Oh, that's true. I guess who is the lead in Les Mis? Um, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, who's one of the worst singers I've ever heard. And, and the lead female was Anne Hathaway. So they had some names too, right? And and can at least sing. And Hugh Jackman can at least sing. Hugh Hugh has a theater background, of course. For sure. he's, he's doing Music Man this in twenty twenty. And but yeah, Russell Crowe I thought was a weird choice. So Tom, but you if need, you're listening, yeah, you need, some, you need <laughs> what, some names. What's going on, man? So the other one that that was lightly bothered me, not as much as the rest, but they kind of changed Mungo Jerry and Rebel Teaser song. It was not like the original, and it was a fun song because it's just always a fun, quick interlude. But I didn't like the way that they they did it. I just wasn't a fan of the change. But the one I want to get to, and the last one I get to before we talk briefly about the ending, because I don't want to spoil the ending, but the ending was an odd choice is I want to talk about what they did to the magical Mr. Mistopheles. He was magical in the literal sense of the of the word. They destroyed one of the best characters of the entire musical by making him awkward and weird. And he's got a little awkward love story with Victoria that they kind of allude to a couple times. And I just everything about it was wrong. And it's he's he is like there's gonna be purists who are gonna watch the normal magical Mr. Mustafa's on stage and wonder what this decision was. Well, there there I mean you've talked about this so many times, even with all the guests, that there's so many like gay undertones and even bisexual or whatever it is, and he was just like, it, it, which brings me to my point of this, or which brings me to another point is that in, in this entire movie. There were no homosexual relationships at all. I mean, there was lots of like cat cuddling and they rub heads together like cats do. But there was, in, like you said, in, in whatever limited love story that there were, it was all heterosexual. They cut out a lot of his like cool parts. Like there was no, I mean, he conjured Old Deuteronomy, which that's like, you know, a, a material part of the story. So it's like that was needed to be there. But even that, they made it a really weird way of doing it, and it made him look super awkward and and not magical. And I was not a fan. I, that's, I think, one of the best characters in the entire musical that they made into this unnecessarily, like, quirky, weird friend. Yeah. Yeah, he became more of a sidekick than, like, a showman. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Now, I want to talk quickly about the ending, and then we're going to go to our categories. Um, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I just want to say, until I got to the ending, I was almost ready to say, you know what? I could buy this. I could buy this movie. Like, I could get this whole thing. Like, there are some interesting choices. It's an experience. There's definitely things I didn't like. But I was impressed with 
with what they had to work with and how they put it together. Mm -hmm. And so I could get over all the rest of the stuff. And then the ending came. (laughs) And I remember very vividly because you and I both looked at each other in the theater and with this kind of WTF moment. There was a whole reaction across the whole crowd, the whole audience. And it's this only the second time I've ever had this reaction in a theater. The first time being when I saw Lord of the Rings, the last, the third part where that movie also ignored the logical ending point and went for like 45 more minutes. And this was the second time where this musical ends with Grizabella ascending to the heaviside layer. But this movie did not end there. And I kind of want to just leave it at that. Because if you're not going to see the movie, then I'm happy to tell you what you experience at the end. But if you're going to see the movie, I don't want to ruin it for you. Because it's such a odd, and in my opinion, wrong, but wrong in a way that I didn't even mark this as a dislike. Because it was so much of a dislike that it became a little bit of a like. Because the experience got so much funnier for me when I just kept thinking about who, like, this. the only thing I think of is this was the 36th hour that Tom Hooper was saying he was cutting, and he's just like, let's just keep it. Let's keep it in. I, we got to go put this on the, you know, show to the premiere tonight. It's in an hour. Let's just keep the ending versus just ending with Grizabella ascending. It took me so out of the moment because it was just... So like 180 of what we had just been watching for the previous 90 minutes, you know? And yeah, I agree. I agree. It it didn't fit. It was not the natural ending. And then there was actually even another part where I was like, okay, now this is the ending. And then it kept going again. Yeah. It It is. There are three distinct times in that ending where you think it should and it cuts back to the awkward part. And it happens three full times. Mm-hmm. And it's a good 10 minutes more For, oh, maybe, at least. Maybe probably was like two, but it just felt okay, like it 10. Felt like, <laughs> it felt like another hour. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I so don't know. I don't want to spoil it because I really do think like when you go see this movie, you're going to have the same moment. It's going to be the most memorable thing you see. Memorable. Memorable. And that includes more memorable than memory. So I want to leave us at that, and I want to go to do some categories, some categories. Before I do that, I want to take a quick break and acknowledge my sponsors because we've made it through this entire season. Um, We haven't had the ad breaks that I've wanted, and so I want to read a few ads from a few people that have uh, companies that have sponsored me. I'm legally obligated to tell you that none of these companies have actually sponsored the podcast. And one of these companies might not be real, but I want to read some ads for you. So first up is Amazon Prime. Have you read T.S. Eliot's poems? Have you seen the 1998 Cats musical on DVD? Do you need to watch the new Cats movie, which will definitely be heading to DVD very fast? You can do all these things on Amazon Prime. Plus, coming soon, the marvelous Mrs. Mistopheles. Sign up today to watch. Catsastrology.com, your one-stop shop for your cat's astrology sign. Have you ever wondered why your cat is a little bit of a dick? Is it because you named him McCavity or because he's a Taurus? We have the answer. Visit us online at knowyourcat.com or catastrology.com and learn all about them. Find the next 24 hours and we'll throw in a breakdown of the moon that Grizabella pretends to fly to at the end of the show. And last but not least, the Broadway Podcast Network. 
for some reason, the Broadway Podcast Network gave me a microphone and asked me to talk about Cats the Musical. No one, myself included, thought this would be a good idea, but here I am, clawing my way to the top of the podcasting world. I'm currently the number one ranked parody podcast about Cats the Musical for listeners in the state of Indiana. If Cats isn't for you, you probably shouldn't be listening to me at this point. If Cats isn't for you, you probably shouldn't be listening to me anyways. But you should check out some of the other amazing Broadway Podcast Network podcasts. The Broadway Podcast Network has incredible shows like Carrie Butler's Breaking Broadway, You Can't Say That with Tanya Pinkins, A Broad's Way with Brittany Bigelow, The Theater Podcast with Alan Seals, our special guest today, Broad Wasted, The Fabulous Invalid, Josh Swallow's Broadway, and many more. Find out more at broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome back. It's now time for our award categories. So, Alan, I've got a few awards I want to give, um, and we'll have some nominations, and you can tell me who you think wins. Um, the first one I want to nominate is the I Treated a Multi-Million Dollar Movie Project Like a Junior High School Science Project Award, and the nominees are Tom Hooper, Tom <laughs> Hooper, or Tom Hooper. <laughs> Who do you think the winner is? Oh, this is a tough choice. I think I'm going to have to go with Tom Hooper. I, I agree. Uh, and congratulations, Tom Hooper, for admitting that you stayed up 36 hours straight to finish the movie hours before the premiere, just like every kid finishes their science project in junior <laughs> high. I can't believe you finished a $95 million budgeted movie hours before the premiere. I'm like, I'm proud. I'm actually very proud because that's incredible. That gives me... I- that actually helps me with my imposter syndrome because if someone is willing to give somebody $95 million who procrastinates in the same way that I do, then I'm in good company or they're in good company either way. Yeah, it's uh, kudos. Kudos to you, Tom. Okay, the next award is for the Let Me Show You How Small These Cats Actually Are Award, and that's for the best unnecessary set piece to try to scale the cats. So the nominees are... There's a 20-foot door that pops up a couple times. There's an entire scene with Jenny Anydots where she is in her home, and it's a kitchen. And so there's a ton of kitchen props. And then the, the last nominee is the Mungo, Jerry, and Ripple teaser scene where they break into a house. So they start in a bedroom and go into a dining room and wreak havoc on this entire home. I will have to go with Rumple and Mungo because Victoria's with them and comes out with a ring she's wearing as a bracelet, a human ring that she's wearing as a cat bracelet. That's that's a good one. The reason that they were the winner for me is because when they get to the dining room table, they sit on the chair and they hold a fork and knife that's bigger than they are. <laughs> and that was the one where I was just like, all right, we get it. They're tiny. Let's move on. I was still, at that point, I was also still angry because that wasn't the song that I was wanting to hear. Right. Congratulations, Mungo and Rumple Teaser, for winning this award. The third award goes for what I am calling the Luke P. Bachelor edit, which is the award for, if you don't get that reference, that's for the character that got the worst edit in the movie. And so the nominees for this are the straight and nerdy Mr. Mistopheles, Skimbleshanks being a tap dancer, Jenny Anydots being her comedic lazy, or McCavity, who kind of got an extra edit with the way he goes in and out of all the scenes. I think my top choice is Jenny Annie Dots simply because there were too many gratuitous comedic slapstick moments where she just tried to jump and was fat and hit a wall and fell. Like that just, do it once, okay, five times, 
I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm and, good. A, and a lot of cat puns. Like and a lot cat of, got your tongue. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. That was too meta. Too meta for me. Yeah. She should not She should not know cat puns. I still think the worst edit goes to Mr. Misopheles, which we covered earlier, so I don't want to get back into it. It's still, you know, I'm 24 hours later, and I'm still mad about it. It's it's besides the ending. It's the part that bothered me most about this whole this whole movie, and so that would be my Luke P. Bachelor Edit Award. And the last award we have to give is the Wow, that person saw something different than I did award, and I'm going to give that to the person who enjoyed the movie the most. And so this is going to be groups of people. So my nominees are going to be: Do you think diehard Cats fans, overall Broadway enthusiasts, or People who attend this movie with no knowledge but on an altered state of mind. Ooh. Ooh, this is a tough one. I seriously think that it's going to be theater, Broadway nerds, not nerds, nerds in a good way. Lovers of Andrew Lloyd Webber, lovers of the show who are going to come and no matter who sings it or where it's performed, they love the music. It brings back some nostalgia. It brings back memories. And just makes them feel overall good. So I'm going to go with cats, lovers, and enthusiasts. I think they are going to enjoy it. And I think anybody who has seen the musical ever, you kind of got the WTF moments out of the way in the theater. And so I think those people are all going to like it but have some criticisms, especially the last two to 25 minutes. I do think someone who comes in an altered state of mind are going to really love this because there were a couple people in our theater that were laughing at all these points that should not have had people laughing. And the whole time I kept thinking, I wish I was as happy as those people in this movie. (laughs) And so that makes me think that they likely made a decision that they're going to be very happy with when they debrief about this movie with their friends later. So the final question, which is how would you rate this movie on a scale of one to nine cat lives? You're asking me? I'm asking you. You're going you're gonna rate first. Oh goodness. I graded Chuck and Larry an A minus, so we all know where I'm going. So what is the equivalent of an A minus in cat lives? Like an It'd eight? Be like an eight, eight and a okay. half. Okay. So I it it for me it gets major points for for the technology and I liked the orchestrations and the cast was good even though underutilized the cast was good so I'd give this maybe uh, four and a half cats wow generous I'm giving it three cats I'm giving it three cats because it's one cat for each time the ending cut back to this awkward moment that made me unsure of what I was watching for the last few minutes. (laughs) And I feel like that's the only way to grade it is to grade it off of that ending and give it three cats based off of the three cutbacks to that particular moment. Well, thank you, Alan, for joining and for listeners for enjoying this special bonus of the wrong cat died, the podcast breakdown of the cat's catastrophe. I highly recommend going to see the cat's movie, which is in theaters everywhere on Friday, December 20th, 2019. Bring your friends, family, But don't bring your children, even though this is PG. I've said that many times, and I want to stick to that. Please do not bring your children. It will haunt their nightmares. But, Alan, thank you. And how can we catch your podcast? You can find me on the Broadway Podcast Network at bpn.fm slash ttp. If you had strong opinions about the movie, I would love to hear from you, whether you 
loved it, thought it was the best movie ever made, whether you thought it was the worst thing you've ever seen in your life, or anything in between. I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to hear about your thoughts on the ending. Please let me know your thoughts. Either send me a direct message on Instagram at died, or email me at died at gmail.com. I'd uh, love to hear your, your thoughts, your takes on the movie. And if you have a very groundbreaking or good hot take, uh, you'll have a chance to hopefully be on a future bonus episode where maybe we will be discussing this movie in further detail with former cast members and hopefully maybe some movie cast members if you know any and if you are posting any of your reactions don't forget to tag me at the wrong cat died on instagram and i will share them and post some of my favorites to the followers to follow along you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or anywhere else you listen to podcasts follow us on instagram and twitter at the wrong cat died or check out our website thewrongcatdied.com Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.